The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Okay, so welcome on this beautiful summer evening. Um, my name is Mira Young, and um, I've been a long-time member of this community and in the Twin City Vipassana community. And um, I've been training with Spirit Rock Meditation Center as a community Dharma leader. And um, I'm a psychotherapist. And I uh, run a small center called Riversway Meditation Center, which is um, down the block in the Ivy Building. And I'm uh, really delighted to just share whatever I can about this path of practice and, um, and support Mark while he's uh, teaching on the retreat with Andy Olinsky. Anybody here for the talk with Andy this afternoon? I wonder if we might close the windows with the air conditioning on. Is there anyone like to try that who's tall? <laughs> so, so, um, okay. My, my style is, tends to be a little more interactive. And um, I'm going to talk for a bit and on the um, Eightfold Path, the Fourth Noble Truth and the Eightfold Path, which is the path of practice. And then um, hopefully leave um, some time for us to really um, touch base with you know, how we're practicing. So I'll try to rein myself in. Um, I'd like to start with a poem that was written many, many centuries ago. This looks like a Greek name to me, Epic. Epictus, and it's called Caretake the Moment. So us human beings have been at this process of coming home to the moment and trying to wake up for a long time. So this is about mindfulness, which is one of the key practices on the Eightfold Path of the Buddha. Caretake this moment. Caretake this moment Immerse yourself in its particulars. Respond to this person, this challenge, this deed. Quit the evasions. Stop giving yourself needless trouble. It is time to really live, to fully inhabit the situation you happen to be in now. You are not just some disinterested bystander. Exert yourself. Respect your partnership with Providence. Ask yourself often, how, how may I perform this particular deed such that it would be consistent and acceptable to the divine will or our deepest values? Heed the answer and get to work. When your doors are shut and your room is dark, you are not alone. The will of nature is within you as your natural genius within. Listen to its importunings. Follow its directives. As concerns the art of living, the material is your own life. 
No greater thing is suddenly created. There must be time. Give your best and always be kind. Give your best and always be kind. So that that's essentially what the Buddha is asking of us as um, we explore this Eightfold Path, which is the Fourth Noble Truth. So just I'll give you a very brief summary. Um, perhaps some are, of you are not familiar with these, the Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, and some of you may be. Um, so just so we're all on the same page. Um, the Four Noble Truths of the Buddha um, address um, our predicament as human beings dealing with suffering, dealing with the fact that there's stress, um, that there's difficulties, there's things we can't control, the fact that we get we get old, you know, we get sick, we die, um, and um, that there's that there is this noble truth of suffering. And the second noble truth is the one about what's the cause of it. And that's our our desire, our attachment, our clinging, our fighting with life, pushing away what we don't want and going after what we think will bring happiness. And uh, the third noble truth is, is the good news is that we, there is this freedom from this constant stress and suffering and then trying to get rid of it, trying to get what we want and be caught in craving and desire. And, and often we look to a lot of superficial things to try to get some permanent kind of happiness. And that this path is really about true happiness or waking up, really finding what really brings true happiness and peace. And the fourth noble truth is, so the good news is that there is a cessation, there is freedom. And the fourth noble truth is, so what's the path? What's the process? and that's the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path involves, which is one of the reasons that I started with the meditation on one-sided thinking, it looks at our, our views. What are wise views? What is wise thinking? What are our intentions? Our speech, our actions, our livelihood? How do we make skillful or wise effort? Just like um, the uh, author of the poem says, to do our work to show up, to pay attention, to be kind. Um, and then the practice of mindfulness and concentration. So these, these path factors of the path are divided into several areas. One that addresses um, the um, factor of our wisdom. You know, how do we look at the world? How do we see things? And then the, the, the aspect of our, our, um, our morality, our behavior. Do, what are our values? How do we treat people? Do we come from greed, hatred, ignorance? You know, do we become the ugly American, pushing and shoving our way through the world, demanding? You know, um, you know how, how do we live? How do we treat ourselves as well? A lot of us are really fine people, and we really our caring of others, but inside there's this judgmental monster that beats us up every time we do something we don't think is good or not, or doesn't like ourselves. So the Buddha really addresses this. And, and, then, and then there's the factors of concentration. 
you know, where we um, where we develop um, our our practice. Like we sat here for a half an hour and we had the courage to sit here and be present with what's happening and to begin to observe and be interested and curious and 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 develop the capacity to sit, to be with ourselves, to notice what's happening, and to be mindful, to be awake. So um, let's see if we can unpack these a bit and explore them. And I'm just briefly going to go through. I'm not attached to covering them all in depth. I actually struggled uh, over the last couple days with, well, should I just focus on mindfulness, or should I try to cover them all? But well, I'll, I'll give it a, a, a shot here. So. Um, we'll see how this goes. So basically, the Eightfold Path is a spiral journey. It's not necessarily sequential. So even though we, we, it has an order to it, um, and we can look at our, our views and opinions, our thoughts, our intentions, and then move on to looking at our behavior, and then develop our, our actual meditation practice, and then in daily life. Um, you know, when you practice one thing, it automatically engages the other. So if you're being mindful of your speech, there's mindfulness there, right? And then there's also, it's, it engages um, effort and action and your thinking. I mean, so they, it's a very integral, holistic approach to guidelines for living. So um, the Eightfold Path is a living path. It's an experience. Um, these are um, three aspects of it. How do you sustain your practice over a lifetime? You know, very practical. How do you reference your practice so it becomes an organizing principle in your daily life? And most importantly, how do you open to the deep realizations in your practice that lead you to the fruition of the path, which is the third noble truth, freedom? So. Um, so we have these aspects, morality, concentration, and wisdom. So in walking our path, um, this is what Philip Moffat says. I'm going to be taking quite a bit, including that last part, from Dancing with Life. Um, and this is uh, Buddhist insights for finding, ans for finding meaning and joy in the face of suffering. Committing to an integral practice also means that you view all your tasks in daily life as being more about practice than outcome. But if you continue to practice, the day will come when you realize that the only way life makes any sense with its endless changing cycle of gain and loss pain and pleasure is to view it as practice. I, I really find this as a, as a relief um, for myself because if I expect myself to just fully realize the eighthfold path tomorrow, you know, forget about it, you know. But, but when I start to look at the challenges, like I don't know what came up for you in that meditation, but like when we look at the difficulties and we look at the things that we face day to day, including opening to happiness and joy and pleasure, it's like um, we're, we're, um, we're trying, we're this isn't about trying to be perfect. It's, it's about a way of living. 
and everything becomes practice. Um, some of you may know, and I've, I talked about this last, I think last month, um, I have these elderly parents that are needing more care and attention. Things have really shifted. And my mother is mainly in a wheelchair quite a bit. And um, I, I, I realized that I had a lot of um, challenge going into that. And I saw it as a practice situation, like I'm going on retreat. You know, just like I'm sitting on the cushion for me to go into that situation, they live out of town, is, is parent retreat practice. And um, I was recently there again um, this last week, and I realized that, by, that, that this view of practice and, and working it like the Eightfold Path, being mindful, um, you know, taking time to do formal practice while I'm there, as well as my actions and how I approach things has really is working, you know, and I'm not so stressed out about it, you know. So even if my dad with Alzheimer's acts out in some way and and you know is doesn't want to do something or or my mom is having a hard time or um, there there's this capacity to keep showing up. So um, each of the eighth path factors defines one aspect of behavioral development needed for you to move from suffering to joy. Its eight factors function as an integrated system or matrix that supports and informs all parts of your life. So we cultivate them. So the first um, aspect is our view. I'll just question you. Did, did anybody notice anything about your views and your thoughts that came up? Anything? Okay. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh says it this way, aware of the suffering created by attachment to views and wrong perceptions, I'm determined to avoid being narrow-minded and bound to present views. I will learn to practice non-attachment from views in order to be open to others' insights and experiences. I'm aware that the knowledge I pre presently possess is not changeless absolute truth. How many of us think that we are absolutely right? <laughs> no. Learn not, learn. Okay. Good for you for admitting it. So um, I'm aware that knowledge, all right, so truth is found in life. I will observe life within, around me, in every moment, ready to learn throughout my lifetime. So the Eightfold Path really invites us to be lifelong learners, you know, just, just to keep learning, to keep seeing more deeply. Wise understanding is understanding like of the Four Noble Truths, the fact that we have the, these issues in life. You know, a lot of us walk around with, with, with um, confusion. We don't want to face this. It's like, well, if I, if I make this much money and I do A, B, C, D, and E, and I get all my eggs in the basket, I won't have any pain or problems or difficulty in life. That, the Buddha, according to the Buddha, you probably wouldn't be sitting here if you believed that, um, is, is not, would be the opposite of wise understanding. So the wise understanding means that you get it that to whatever degree that there is something to these noble truths. There is some reason to practice mindful living. You know, for whatever reason brings you here. And then in terms of your thoughts, um, Thich Nhat Hanh invites us to be aware of the suffering brought when I impose my views on others. 
I'm committed not to force others, even my children. I laugh because I, I've struggled with this. By any means whatsoever, such as authority, threat, money, propaganda, or indoctrination, <laughs> to adopt my views. I will respect the rights of others to be different and to choose what to believe and how to decide. I will, however, help others renounce fanaticism and narrowness through compassionate dialogue. So he's inviting us. Thich Nhat Hanh, I don't know if you know of him, he's very much a peace activist. You know, he's very much engaging us in making the mindfulness where the rubber hits the road. But, but you know, if we, if we judge others, well, I'm better than, I meditate and I'm mindful and they're, they don't get it about the noble truths, that, that's, that kind of attitude is, is not right view or wise thinking. Um, actually, um, um, a young woman that I know, I won't say who or how, if not someone I work with, um, that, that I met in, where my parents live, um, I learned that she was from a very fundamentalist background and uh, from another country, parents from old country, and a lot of suffering, um, a lot of, you know, you're going, you know, fire and brimstone, and a lot of rules, very restrictive, um, the opposite of feminism, <laughs> and um, and then also a lot of uh, abuse or cruelty, and um, and and my compassionate dialogue with her was to be to listen, to listen with an open heart as she opened her soul, and I I was grateful to be in a position to support or mentor her. I didn't say nothing, I didn't, but I also didn't give her views like, well, these people are bad or that's a wrong. I, I just said, you know, there are other ways or it sounds like you're finding some other ways and really just supporting her or, or validating some of her experiences. So it doesn't mean that we don't speak or act compassionately. Um, uh, one of our, our most, um, um, uh, Philip calls it important allies and practices on the path is our intention. And how many of you know the phrase, uh, the path of hell is paved with good intentions, something like that, the road to hell is, is paved with good intentions. So again, we can have some good intentions that aren't necessarily wise. So working with our intention um, is, is a key element because intention is where all of our motivations arise from. Um, and so we bring that into our speaking, you know, what we choose to do and how we conduct our livelihood, um, into our action, um, our intentions. You know, what's our intention? Intention maybe is it fueled by, you know, understanding, wisdom? Is it fueled by greed, hatred, and delusion? I mean, those are strong language, but when you really look at it, you know, look around our world, look around our life, and wh where's, what's happening? You know, um, these forces are very active, you know, and again, um, you know, it may be, you know, we're, we're wanting things that aren't ours, Maybe we want it so bad we might take something. Someone I know um, has a family member who is a young person is shoplifting, you know. Um, 
I've done some work in the prison system and amazing, wonderful people with these, with experiences of very uh, acting out of, of pain and greed and hatred, harming someone they love. You know, and again, this isn't just, this is all of us. We have this. So, so our intentions to really, you know, um, be wise about it. Um, when you talk about now just to wise action, we, we use something that the Buddha called Sampajama in Pali. I like that, kind of like, sounds like some pajamas. <laughs> you know, or something. Like, like, Sampajama is, uh, is clear comprehension. You know, what's our purpose with this? You know, what, 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 what's our intention? You know, is this the right timing? You know, same thing with our speech. It can be true. But is it useful and is it the right time to say it? I do couples therapy, you know, and people are tired. Well, or when I work with people or at any time, it's like, or with my family members, you know, it's like, or my friends. Well, I, I, I got something to say and I think it's really going to be good <laughs> and it's really true. And I think it's going to be really helpful. Um, I had an, a situation in, in the car the other night with a friend coming back from a movie, and they were it was bringing up some issues for them. And immediately, I took a breath and jumped in, and and and, and I was and they are mindfulness practitioners. So I said, "Well, you know, I'd really like to see you free your mind from that kind of suffering." And da 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 da, and and there was silence. <laughs> <laughs> And she said, "Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. I, I know, I, I know, I know. You're right about that. Mm-hmm, that's a, those are some good ideas." Mm-hmm. And then later, at the end of the evening, she gave me a hug goodbye, and she said, "You know, I just needed to to let it out a little bit." And I said, "I'm sorry." So the timing was off. You know, I wasn't. I was so like determined. I was going to rush in. Fools rush in. Um. One of the pieces of wise action, um, clear comprehension, sampajama, and then um, also includes the five precepts. And um, how many of you are familiar with the five mindfulness trainings or the five precepts? Yeah, some of you? Okay, great. Um, I'm just going to gently mention them here because they're so vital. And you know, in all core practices, spiritual practices, we attend to, you know, what are these healthy ways of living and how we treat each other. Um, so, so Thich Nhat Hanh calls them mindfulness trainings. And so rather than see them as rules or laws and then you're a sinner if you don't follow it, it's more like these are practices for living and about coming in alignment with truth and what's wholesome, what's going to help us move in the direction of true happiness and freedom. Obviously, if we're causing harm and our minds are filled with destructive thoughts towards self or other, how happy are we going to be? I mean, this is common sense and guidelines and trainings because it's a lifelong process. So aware of the suffering caused by destruction of life, I vow to cultivate compassion, learn ways to protect the lives of people, animals, plants, and minerals, determine not to kill, not to kill others, or condone killing in the world, in my thinking, wise thinking, as well as way of life. That's the first precept. It's non-harming. The second precept is about non-stealing. 
And I'll just mention a little bit how Thich Nhat Hanh says it. He said, aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I vow to cultivate loving kindness and ways to learn to work for the well-being you know, of others and to not take what isn't freely given, you know, to not. And sometimes it's very subtle, very subtle. You know, some of us aren't going to go rob a bank, you know, obviously, like, what's his name? My family just went to go see the Johnny Depp uh, Dillinger. Yeah. You know, most of us aren't going to go around robbing banks and shooting people. But, you know, we might just do subtle things. And as I've practiced over the years, I find that my sensitivity, like when I feel like, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just borrow that, you know, you know, or, oh, you know, you end up with a lot of pens and paper clips from work, you know, or uh, somebody gave you a book you never returned, you know. I mean, again, some of it's not that we do it intentionally or on purpose, but we get more sensitive. One time I was on a retreat. This is like just a really tiny example, but it actually touched my heart that, that the heart could be that sensitive because there's, a, there's this other quality called Hiri, Hiri and Otapa where we actually feel when we do something that's out of alignment of truth. And um, I was, um, my yogi job was working in the kitchen and this was a retreat. Um, I was fortunate enough to do a retreat on Maui for a month. And it was at the end of the retreat and people had come with some wonderful food to offer us. And somebody had made this like amazing cake with this Hawaiian fruit I can't even say anymore, liliquoi or something like that. Yeah, it, it's just hard to describe. It's yummy. It's it's like somewhere between, I don't know, a mango and a t lemon and a tin. Don't, I don't know, it was just amazing. So this beautiful cake was sitting out with this yummy frosting and it was sitting out in the kitchen and I was passing through with my yogi job and and I just sort of <laughs> just a tiny I think it was on a knife that they had cut pieces or something. I mean I didn't just take it off the top of the cake like a five year old. You know, I just I just kinda scooped it off somewhere and stuck it in and mmm yum yum yum. And then I immediately felt terrible and I I uh, told my teacher about it, and she was really great because she said, oh, and she, she pointed out that that was an experience of that kind of understanding. You know, so, so it was like it actually made me happy that actually, and there's an aspect of the path where actually when we, when we are struggling, it's actually that becomes we're actually grateful because we learn. And, and it was really, um, it made me happy that I could be that sensitive and that I could pay that close attention and, um, and then let it go and forgive myself and begin again. So the third precept is, um, has to do with our sexuality. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I vow to cultivate responsibility and learn ways to protect the safety, integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society not to engage in sexual relations without love and a long-term commitment, to preserve the happiness of myself and others, and to honor the commitments of others. Um, I was at Plum Village um, back in, uh, I think it was 2000. It was really interesting because in, I was pleasantly surprised and a little shocked that 
and I don't want to make a stereotype here, that the European young people that were there, the, the monks and nuns were meeting, having discussions in the afternoons with some of the young people in their early 20s and such. And they're openly just talking about their sexuality. Well, you know, I've got these many girlfriends and these many boyfriends, and I like sex, and da 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 da. And, you know, and they're talking to robe monks and nuns, and it was like totally cool. And, you know, just starting to think about it. You know, like what brings happiness? You know, how is it to manage several partners at once? <laughs> you know, and again, you know, some, you know, young people dating, you know, intimacy, checking these things out, experimenting. And yet, you know, does that bring happiness? You know, really, and, or being intentional about it? You know, or do you go through, you know, I have young clients come in, oh yeah, I found out my part, my boyfriend's a player, he goes through women like Kleenex, you know, where he's got, you know, multiple people he's talking at once on his, his phone, you know, I mean, you know, just, just again, I don't want to just make light of this as a joke, but, but to really deeply think about it, you know, how, how we use our sexual energy. I actually had somebody complain to me about a particular teacher that, um, um, was not so skillful, maybe was too playful in their sexuality, maybe was a little bit on the edge, and how that was uncomfortable for them, you know? So honoring that, respecting that, finding those boundaries. And then the fourth precept has to do with um, speech, our, our deep listening, our mindfulness around speaking, and then the fifth precept is about our consuming. And Thich Nhat Hanh, talks about it, are consuming not just of intoxicants, although that's important in our practice, like what we use to pollute the mind, you know. I mean, it's hard to be mindful, um, and I used to work in chemical dependency work as well as mental health, and, you know, it's very hard to be mindful when you're, um, you know, your consciousness is intoxicated. You know, and so you, you think about, you know, how do I use, do I use intoxicants? How do I use it? When? Um, do we refrain from that? That's recommended or, or encouraged. And then also, um, you know, TV shows, programs, magazines. Um, at the Y, I, I, particularly in the winter, I like to do workout things at the Y, and I'll go on the elliptical machine, you know, and there's all the million magazines. And I would just notice how I felt when I'd sort of, oh, I'll just read some, some junk, just, you know, get a little junk food, not want to think about anything. And then I'd read about, you know, whatever her name is, Brittany, Lindsay, and, 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 I, and I just feel kind of, you know, what, what dress looked worse on who. And, and, and then, you know, it's just like I realized I didn't want to do it. So, you know, now when I go in there, I... I mainly, you know, every now and then, I say, oh, it's, I'll try, no, 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 and, and, and I never buy those things, but, you know, I just, you know, I, I reached for something else, and I actually found a book that was a, a, a magazine that was on, that that's actually had mindfulness things and research on the brain and mindfulness, and, you know, so it's like, what do I want to put in there, you know, so, so these are, this is all part of our, our, our wisdom practice. And it informs our actions and um, our thinking. And then um, I'm going to read a couple poems here as I finish up the and some information. Um, this is a poem about um, 
Well, let's see. Let me, let me just stick with this a little longer. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh says, mindfulness is the energy, and this is our wise mindfulness now, our energy of being aware, awake to the present moment. It's the continuous practice of touching life deeply in every moment of daily life. To be mindful is to be truly alive, present, at one with those around you and what you're doing. We bring our body and mind into harmony while we wash dishes, drive the car, take our morning shower. He implores us, dear friends, dear friends, he says, let us try to be intelligent and skillful in our practice, approaching every aspect of practice with curiosity and a sense of search. Let us practice with understanding, not just for form and appearance. Enjoy your practice here with a relaxed and gentle attitude, with an open mind and a receptive heart. Jack Cornfield also describes mindfulness as being aware, awareness with a receptive heart. So how we are mindful. Um, this morning I had an opportunity to go with a small group of women, a support circle um, that I lead, and we, we, we we all went together a little bit out of the city and found a spot in the woods to practice this morning. And it was so healing to do that. We just spent an hour and then we shared a meal and some conversation. And it was so sweet to just um, sit there, you know, and listen to the wind in the trees, feel the air on our skin, sit together, um, walk uh, in the country, you know, and, and just something that simple. And I realized how busy my mind had been caught up in planning and doing and thinking and wondering what I was going to talk about tonight. And it was like, oh, just just noticing. And then, and then I was walking at one point, and I noticed the tiniest feather on the ground, you know, and a nice stone. And so when I came back from my walk, I made like a little altar with the things I found in the forest, you know. And it just was like... I could just feel everything kind of subtle, and that's the gift of mindfulness. Then that we can even have that in the midst of a busy day, you know, by just bringing our attention to something with awareness. Um, okay, let's see. So I'm about covering here. I worked, we're we're um, with mindful uh, concentration, and actually, I want to share. Uh, I, I, for me anyway, it was a very moving story about um, uh, a woman who became a nun in Thailand and became a fully awakened uh, woman. Um, you know, she realized the third noble truth of cessation of freedom fully in her lifetime. She was born in no, uh, November 1901 and she died in um, June. Um, around this time of year in uh, 1991 and um, I'm not sure how to say this so if anyone knows Thai please correct me but it's K-A-E-U K-A-E-U and Q? Q, okay and uh, the, the nuns are called Maichis? Maichi 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 Q was her name and um, uh, she was, um, as a young woman, she was naturally um, inclined. Oh, let's see. Are we ending at 8.30? Okay. All right, I'm going to finish up. 
I'll just sum up to say she was naturally inclined to meditation and um, she um, um, practiced as a young girl and she actually met a very um, a forest master teacher who at that time um, and he actually told her not to practice until she had a teacher at a later stage of her life and she was married off at a young age uh, I forget what age, but fairly young, uh, 17 or something. Actually, that was probably a little older then. And but her husband was like 16. And um, I believe it was 27 years, she, she, her husband would not allow her to practice. Um, and she, she was a real worker. I mean, she had this really strong concentration, very, very clever, very bright. And so whatever she applied her mind to, she could do. And I mean, she was like amazing. And, you know, she, she would raise silkworms and she'd do this and she'd do that and she'd weave and she'd plow and she, she was a very hard worker. And um, anyway, it, it, eventually she was able to leave the marriage and practice. And one of the places that she got lost in was her wonderful concentration practice was so deep but she got really attached in there to all the experiences she was having and trying to help other beings where did she was connecting with from her deep levels of concentration. And at one point, she encountered another teacher who basically said, you're, you're off. Your view, your idea of what the right, the, what's wise concentration is really off and you're not getting it. But she trusted herself and she thought she, no, no, that's gonna take me to freedom. And he actually threw her out of the monastery, you know, and said, no, you know, this is not skillful. So after that, she said, okay, I really need to look at this. And it took a lot of close looking and introspection for her to break her own habits of her deep practice. So, you know, we, we can really get kind of, you know, hunger after certain concentrated states. You know, we really want our concentration to be strong, we don't want to be bothered by our monkey mind. And some of that is really skillful, but we also have to um, not get too attached to special states or having a quiet mind. How do we show up and be practiced with what is? So that's the um, about wise um, concentration. Let me make sure I covered them all. And uh, um, wise concentration, wise mindfulness. Um, wise action, um, wise understanding, thinking, speaking, and oh, and livelihood. Oh yeah, that one. <laughs> so um, with our livelihood, um, you know, that's also part of our, our, our mindfulness training. You know, um, you know, like it may include our career, what we do, but for most of us, it's not so much what we do, but it's how we do it and how we conduct ourselves. And also, you know, I know people as they practice along the path, it gets really sticky because, you know, if you're working for a company or an employer that doesn't treat others well or is exploiting or, you know, what if you worked for Madoff, you know? I mean, you know, what do you do with that? I mean, you know, not that you were intentionally involved, and I'm not going to get into all that, or what if you're working for a company that's supplying, that makes parts that go with bombs, you know, some of the companies. So some of it's blatant like that, um, but some of it's more subtle. And even how we conduct ourselves, you know, you might 
get that sales award bonus, but it might mean some exploitation or not full disclosure or, you know, so, so again, it can be more subtle than that. But I think to ask ourselves, you know, how do we, how, what's our relationship to money? How do we um, earn our living? What do we do? How do we do it? I, I one time had um, a young woman, knew a young woman who worked in a coffee shop. And she, she actually practices um, here. She doesn't, is, is, um, isn't in that kind of work any longer. But I was very impressed that she said when she would make those coffee drinks for people, she would do it with her mindfulness. And so how she would serve them. You know, so something as simple as making a, a mocha latte, whatever, with or without you know, whipped cream, was a real service for her. And how she offered that, you know, these people are, 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 are coming, they're wanting this, and, and um, they're spending money. I, I'm going to really show up and offer that. So how we go about it. Um, this is an African elegy by Ben Okri. I'd like to um, share some things about this. Um, he says... There are things that burn me now, which turn golden when I am happy. Do you see the mystery of our pain, that we bear the poverty and are able to sing and dream sweet things, and that we never curse the air when it is warm or the fruit when it tastes so good, or the lights that bounce gently on the waters? We bless the things, even our pain, we bless them with silence. That is why our music is so sweet. It makes the air remember there are secret miracles at work that only time will bring forth. There are secret miracles at work that only time will bring forth. As knowledge concerning your mind's true essence blossoms and blooms within your heart, the end of the long road of suffering will gradually come into view. So let's sit for a moment and, uh, and then we'll open up to some discussion and reflection on this, this eightfold path, you know, the blessing that we have of um, being able to practice this Dharma practice a path of liberation, um, to hear these teachings and to practice them. Yeah, neither just some of my sharing. So if anything wasn't quite accurate, or you know, please forgive me. And um, you know, if you want to share anything that came up from the meditation, or just your thoughts, you know, how are you practicing? And you know, sometimes too we can look and see where where we need to exercise more attention. Um, 
there's something called spiritual urgency, samvega, where we realize, wow, like being around those elders, it's like, wow, you know, sickness, old age, death, real, you know, life is fast, fleeting, kind of saying, oh, okay, how am I practicing, you know? So, so any comments, questions, thoughts, or areas of practice, feel free. And then we'll close with some loving kindness. Yeah, jump in, yeah. Uh, mirror my practice is kind of stuck. And mm-hmm. I picked up a copy of uh, Main Chief mm-hmm. Hughes book. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's simply written, mm-hmm. very colorful. Mm-hmm. And uh, pointed out that uh, a lot of suffering is caused by attachment, which I don't mm-hmm. know. And I kind of misplaced the next connection, which was that um, the attachment is caused by the pride. And one of her, uh, I think her second guide, taught her, I don't know what to call it, so I call it putrefaction meditation. Oh, contemplations on the body. Yeah. 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 Uh, The uh, decomposing of the body. Yeah. As it decomposes, the attachments right. give, give way. Right. And um, it was uh, very powerful. Yeah. And yeah. Um, something I'm trying to continue to practice because the attachments yeah. fall away harder. But yeah. Do you know something more about that? Actually, actually, that practice is one of the one of the, the a core or one of the, the 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 practices of the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the 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 this path of vipassana mindfulness. So the Satipatthana, and um, this these are the practices that have to do with what we bring, you know, with the four foundations of mindfulness. And the actually, a lot of us veer away from this, but. Um, um, cemetery, a lot of the monks and nuns, you know, they practice in cemetery contemplations. And again, we're in a society that's really abhorrent to death and makes it all clean and tidy. And, you know, you go to Asia and you see the burning ghats and everything's out there. And, you know, that that we're so attached, you know, youth and beauty and the body. But, but there are specific, there's a specific practices that take you all the way through in the Satipatthana Sutta. And that's the path that we're practicing and that's one of the contemplations where you really look at the body and you see see it and you know you see it for what it is i had a very creative teacher once matthew flickstein and he would i mean this may sound really heavy gross but you know like you know what what we're looking at you know those nails we get french polish on and we make nice or this hair you know that we have to have bad or good hair days and all these products and again if we can we can do that i mean you can be a practitioner and put streaks in your hair and you know um, comb your hair wash it you know keep it nice you know but we get we get so attached you know in our culture we're bombarded and to to actually like you start collecting these things like he had a, he had i did not do this myself one of my friends did but i but i did reflect you know you cut the nails you had the nail clippings in a little baggie you had a little bit of 
hair, you had a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and she put it on a poster board, <laughs> look at it, this is the body, you know, Kleenexes you used, uh, I mean, you start to look at it, you know, the whole thing, the, the skin, the flakes, you know, and that, that we're, it, it breaks the attachment to the sense of we are the body, and the body, um, it, 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 where, where we kind of get um, diluted. So again, there's some strong practices there that really work. And um, I know one of the most powerful experiences I had was uh, this teacher, and now they're doing this at some of the other programs at Spirit Rock, is um, where they had photos of a, a body decomposing from one of the Asian countries. And you would reflect on that. And then the reflection, just as I am subject to, you know, this body is also subject to, you know, decay. And, you know, it, it really wakes you up. And it's, it's actually a freeing practice rather than once you get over that initial, it's like, oh, wow, right. You know, to really face it. And it wakes us up too because it's like, yeah, you know, and you get you get complacent, and you get really like um, forget, you know, how impermanent things are. So anyway, um, you know, some of you may be in a place where you might start contemplating it, and you can even do it on a small scale. You know, a lot of us assume our good health, you know, but it can go really fast. There's a beautiful movie right now at the Dinah Theater. I saw it last night called Departures. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it, it has the um, ritual body washing uh, done in a young man who um, was a musician, a cellist, and he ends up having this job. He finds a job and he thought it was a travel agency called Departures. And then he goes in and the, 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 the guy hiring him says, oh, and it was uh, departed. It was a typo. <laughs> and there's these caskets leaning against the wall and he's like, and it pays really well. And anyway, it, it's, it's absolutely beautifully done. And um, in fact, in it, his, there, well, I don't want to ruin it. It's just that people see him as like an untouchable because he touches dead bodies. And then you see the beauty and the care and, and the way of, of letting, helping each um, to take care of that and to face it. And it was actually very beautiful and inspiring. It's not um, depressing at all. It's actually like, oh, right, yeah. And very healing, very healing. Any other comments or questions? Thanks for bringing it up. And I can suggest, um, you know, resources. Yeah. Hi. question I appreciate you bringing it up and I, how many people struggle with some of those same issues you know um, I actually 
had to deal with it yesterday on the phone where a, a, a childhood friend from many, many years ago was going through a hard time, just looked me up and called me out of the blue. And, his, and, and even though I tried to set some boundaries, just called me last night and just started. And, and it's a very painful situation. And with as much compassion in my heart, you know, um, I, I said, I'm not available and I care, I care. And I would think of her with loving kindness, but I'm, I'm really not available to be in that relation. It's not a healthy one for me or her, you know, for various reasons. And so I think um, I refer you to Pema Chodron. Um, she wrote a book called The Places That Scare You or Sharon Salzberg, Happiness, Art of Loving Kindness. But Pema particularly talks about idiot compassion and, you know, where you leave your doors open and, you know, you have to include yourself. And guilt is not a particularly, um, you know, to, to, to feel like get lost in that guilt, but to really out of compassion for yourself, may you let go and take care of ourselves. And it, and it is a balance and, and it, everybody has to kind of look deeply and see what's right for them. But I think if you're starting, if you feel like, you know, that that's, it's, it's not um, healthy or working for you. I mean, really, it's important. Actually, I'm working with someone now, and it's like it's all about establishing that because, because it's actually a very unhealthy pattern that's caused a lot of suffering in their life. I mean, extreme. But even not, even if it weren't extreme, it's a loss of self, a loss of integrity, and being with one's own values, like going, you know, by caretaking other people, it becomes a whole pattern. So with all the loving kindness in your heart, you don't have to do it with hatred, just no. Yeah. 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 Um, we need to finish up here, so I'm sorry I didn't leave more time for discussion. Um, did anyone just quickly have any other reaction to the one-sided thinking? I'm just curious if any, or, or something else that's burning before we close. No? Nobody has one-sided thinking? Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You know, the, the part that's so important in our practice is that is this and I actually I'm sorry I left this out because I wanted to spend more time on it is is being creative and and, and with our wise effort is inquiry it's it's not enough to just be mindful and aware we really have to look we have to we have to inquire and be curious and ask and notice things you know not just sit there and judge oh I was mindful now I wasn't mindful but like really start to inquire and so so Jack Cornfield in The Wise Heart has a lot of practices where we really start to look. You know, like if we're having a hard time, we say, okay, well, what's that about? How does it feel in the body? What are the thoughts with that? You know, what's the view? You know, like you, you start to inquire and you have to be creative. It's not a cookie cutter size. Do it like this. If you're looking for something where somebody tells you what to do, you know, it's like being a lamp onto yourself. You really have to engage in it to make it alive for you. Yeah, sorry. Did you say? Um, 
being, uh, actually looking at things from that point of view, like yeah. analytical, which I have a natural bent towards anyway. So I'm not sure where that works out as I'm sifting through things. You know, I don't want to get too wild, you know, about these connections. Mm-hmm. Well, we tend to, we don't want to do, and I'm a psychotherapist saying this, you know, we don't want to do psychotherapy on the cushion. We don't want to sit there and, oh, yeah, that reminds me when I was five of my mom. The fact is, you know, you could be sitting there and a memory could arise or a feeling in the body. And then maybe later, after your practice, you might reflect on it. And then maybe that, because a lot of times unresolved issues from a lifetime come up as we sit. And so we do need to deal with them or to think about them. But, but while you're practicing, it may be just, the inquiry may sometimes just be, hmm, or what, what, what am I aware of? You know, or what does that feel like in the body? Or what's happening in the mind? You know, you, 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 and, and I think these are good questions. So you're, the, the, the fact that you're questioning, well, what's too much analysis? What isn't? How do I do it? That confusion, that's great. That's what we want. We want, and then we're like mucking around in there. You know, we're, we're, um, we're, we're, we're learning. What's the balance? And then we do some reading. We listen to some talks. We get, we talk to our teacher. We start to, oh, 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 okay, that's what increase. Oh, okay. And then we think we got it. And then, and then it deepens. And then we, we have a new awareness, and, and you know, to work with our hearts and minds. So, so great. Good question. Keep exploring. So let's close tonight. Thank you for um, listening and being present. Just letting the words go. Let's just sit for a few moments. And we'll dedicate the merit of our practice um, to the benefit and awakening of all beings, including ourselves, and wishing ourselves well on our journey on the safefold path. You know, may I be well, may I be peaceful, may I live with ease and joy wonder and wisdom. May I love and accept myself just as I am. May I know true happiness and freedom. And just as much as you can, just let the loving kindness fill you And if you wish, you can radiate that out to others here and then those near and dear and far and wide. Give your best and always be kind. Peace.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.